0: This Week in FCPA is a production of the Compliance Podcast Network.
1: In this episode, we consider the FCPA enforcement highlights from the first quarter of 2020. How to Instill Trust in Uncertain Times by Bob Conlon. Can 2008 be used as a guide for boards of directors in this economic turndown? Jonathan Marks reminds us to be ever vigilant about fraud during the economic turndown. Jim DeLoach on managing digital disruption. The Morrison's company in the United Kingdom evades massive data breach liability. The Marriott Corporation has a data breach of 5.2 million guests. The Trump evisceration of the Environmental Protection Agency puts companies in an ethical dilemma. A whistleblower award goes to a compliance professional. We review the podcasts on this month's episode of 31 Days to a More Effective Compliance Program. All this and more on This Week in FCPA. This Week in FCPA is a production of the Compliance Podcast Network and a proud member of C-Suite Radio. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox, the Voice of Compliance and the Compliance Evangelist, back again with Mr. Monitors himself. Yes, Jay Rosen, safe, sound, and self-isolated in sunny Southern California. Jay, uh, how is the Rosen family?
0: Uh, Rosen family is very excited that online education has started. The girls are looking forward to uh, actually having lessons plans to complete and uh, doing a little Zoom studying with their colleagues. Um, yesterday, uh, confirming a decision made by Governor Gavin Newsom here in California, we've learned that as Alice Cooper says, school is out for the spring and for the summer. So, uh, we're letting that all digest, but that, that came to pass last night. Um, Michaela keeps telling me, she goes, you know, daddy, we're living in history right now and we're going to be in the history books at some time. I said, okay, well, let's see what they say. Well, Jay,
1: um, for this week in FCPA, episode 199, for the week ending, April 13, uh, 20, excuse me, April 3, 2020, the mostly non coronavirus edition, we had some interesting non coronavirus mostly stories. Um, we wanted to start off with Harry Kassan over at the FCPA blogs quarterly re- summary of. FCPA enforcement actions uh, from Q1 2020. And as always, a great summary by Harry. Uh, We had a dearth of FCPA enforcement actions. Cardinal Health and Airbus were it. Um, Airbus, obviously the uh, largest in the history of the world ever, but we had uh, one gentleman sentenced. We had three indictments. We had a couple of guilty pleas. We had an acquittal and we had some new trials granted, plus some declinations. So, um, a fairly active uh, in toto or holistically uh, approached a uh, quarter of FCPA enforcement, uh, not uh, a large number of cases. But as we have detailed on this podcast, uh, you and your writings and myself as well, lots to digest and lots for the compliance practitioner to think about going forward.
0: So uh, next up, we have something that comes to us from um, Navix Global's Ethics and Compliance Matters blog. So, anyhow, uh, Bob shares with us a really um, uh, insightful blog on instilling trust in uncertain times. In times of uncertainty, we all look towards people and organizations we trust to help guide our actions and decision making. But during this unprecedented time of social and economic uncertainty created by a global pandemic, it's important for business leaders to take a step back to play in our role in instilling order and calm on the broader scale. Uh, Quite often you hear us quote uh, research from the Edelman Trust Barometer, and uh, most recent numbers say that 76% of the people trust their own employer more than any other non-religious institution, and only 49% trust the government. Our employees are looking to us for information and guidance during times of turmoil, which present an opportunity that business leaders should not waste. It's an opportunity to earn trust of our employees that they place in us. Some of the communication objectives that Bob has set for himself during this time are, one, to be transparent. People don't expect us as business leaders to be omniscient, but they do deserve open communication. Second, be proactive. Anticipate your team's questions and stay ahead of them. Be honest. It should go without saying, but our words do matter. Be human. Leaders are not immune from this disease, nor the anxiety it brings. And finally, be hopeful. It's our job to inspire Let's focus on the ability to work together and succeed together. Together, we will get through this. Uh, Bob has set out uh, that this is an excellent time to practice what he would call good business behavior, and every leader has issues that try our strength, a missed quarter, a technology outlet outage, a natural disaster. But the expectations for businesses and business leaders to act with integrity and transparency continues to increase trust is built on ethics and compliance but ethics integrity dependability and purpose are three times more important when it comes to earning trust it's a new world out there let's be sure we know how to lead in it so uh words that ring true for the time that we're in tom uh what do you have next on your side
1: So, Jay, from the Harvard School, Law School Forum on Corporate Government, Governance, a article from Mark Gerstein and Christopher Drury, who are partners at Latham and Watkins, on lessons from the 2008 financial crisis for the management and the board. And I was really intrigued by uh, the title of this article, and and so was interested to see uh, what the authors might glean. Obviously, the focus of the crisis is different. Uh, There in in 2008, it was, if not intentional, certainly negligent actions by financial institutions, which led to the crisis. Here, we had an economic bubble that was simply waiting to burst. We had the Saudi oil shock of now taking oil below $20 a barrel from $60 a barrel uh, about 60 days ago, coupled with the coronavirus uh, health debacle that the administration has put the United States in, um, and now uh, most, I think we have 38 states, have instituted self-isolation or quarantine orders uh, as the uh, idiot president uh, didn't seem to understand that that's what we needed to do right off the top of the bat. Nevertheless, the business lessons I found were interesting and uh, in how they um, uh, came together. And some of the things that executives and board leaderships best did in 2008, uh, preserving key managers and employees, maintaining liquidity – and then, uh, the, the, the last point is preserving and positioning the company for recapturing value as the crisis receded. And this, Jay, I think it's going to be the significant part for compliance practitioners. Not that the compliance profession did not exist in 08. We did, but it was much more nascent and compliance professionals are now in much higher levels Uh, of importance within organizations. Also, customer preferences have shifted and customers want to see companies that engage in ethical business practices. And now with the pressure of the coronavirus health crisis and the economic downturn, obviously a lot of pressure and customers, uh, shareholders, stakeholders, third parties, Uh, localities, and other businesses want to deal with companies that are going to deal with people human capital fairly. So this last part of the advice from 08, uh, or rather two parts, preserving uh employees and then uh, positioning the company for recapturing value as they've receded, I think, really uh, speaks to what compliance professionals need to prepare their company for on a number of ter- time horizons, uh, short term, one week, two weeks, three weeks, but 30 days, 60 days. If you can get past 60 days, sort of where are you going to be uh, when uh, the uh, market rebounds? And it's, it's much closer to business than usual as it is here. So some good lessons to think about from the past.
0: So uh, next up, we have something from our prolific colleague, Jonathan Marks, on the Board and Fraud blog. Uh, Jonathan this week writes about why we must be ever vigilant about fraud during an economic downturn. As a crisis unfolds, like coronavirus and markets decline globally, fraudsters will be adapting New and new risks will emerge and some of the risks will increase. Remember, white-collar criminals adapt by profiling their victims so they can exploit their weaknesses. That being said, companies need to develop a strategy that enables the deployment of appropriate tactics to manage these new or increasing risks. White-collar criminals build a wall of false integrity around them to gain the trust of their victims. A crisis situation can and often does increase the pressure on senior management and, of course, on salespeople to meet their sales goals and targets. Deviant behavior, like overriding circumventing controls, quote, just one time, unquote, is easily justified. So it should go without saying that companies and their boards need to recalibrate and, in most cases, increase their oversight today and subsequent to the crisis until things stabilize, Why? Because of the likely mindset to maintain, and if that's not possible, to make up for lost opportunities. Here are some of the behaviors to be aware of. Individuals overlooking ethical violations and not reporting the alleged bad behavior. Remember, most of fraud is initially uncovered through a tip. And two, using the crisis to delay, shortcut, or skip procedures and the likelihood of getting caught. A crisis could and today has restricted live human interaction, thus performing investigations, maintaining the compliance program, internal auditing, and conducting other procedures could be challenging. Some of the areas that should be focused on are ethics and compliance training schedules, interviews, confidentiality, third-party audits, the observation of physical inventory cycle counts, and executive sessions with the audit committee. The audit committee will more likely than not be focused on, a, on scenario plans, stress tests, and company enterprise wise risk management programs. They will need to understand and then explore with senior management the plan for monitoring and dealing with emerging and increased risks in this impact. In closing, most employee frauds are opportunistic and not well planned, ingenious schemes. During a crisis, the speed of change is such that opportunities to commit fraud will be prevalent. Thus, recognizing risks and staying vigilant is a must to reduce their opportunities. Uh, so uh, once again, a- another thoughtful blog from Jonathan, and we do link to it in the show notes. Next up, Tom, uh, managing digital disruption part two. What does Jim Deloche have to say about that?
1: So, Jay, as you noted, this is part two of uh, Jim Deloach's writing is always great. Anytime Jim writes something, you need to read it. But it's three more considerations to weather digital transformation. The first one is to keep an eye on the customer experience and your competitive advantage. Uh, it's not solely about the technology, it's about the business model. And I think many uh, compliance practitioners, are as bad as anyone, they get tied up in the discussion about the technology, but it's what it do to supplement the business model. So uh, that's the question is uh, there. Number two, ensure that there is a compelling plan that fits your market realities. I'm not saying you shouldn't uh, go cutting edge and lead with a digital transformation, but it should not be a Tempted in a vacuum. You need to bring in uh, consultants and experts, but also uh, your own company. Uh, that's what's so great about design thinking is it brings customer attitudes into the design process and in compliance, your customers or your employees. So ensure there's a compelling uh, plan for business uh, or rather market realities. And of course the market in your compliance uh, component is your uh, customer base, your employee base consider the human element to digital uh, transformation that is not simply utilizing human to the transformation but also a strategy to address any worker dislocation and displacement it's a critical issue no one should take lightly um, the answers may be elusive, but they still the questions need to be asked. And then finally, he goes through a list of questions for senior executives and board members. Uh, it's a great piece. The two pieces together, I think, are excellent. Uh, kudos to Jim for putting it together, and obviously for corporate compliance insight, Sarah Had, and our colleague uh, for putting it out there for everyone's uh, enjoyment and edification. Jay.
0: Great. So next up, um, we have a client alert from our friends at Cardry compliance from Jonathan Armstrong, taking a look at the Morrison's case. And it says, Morrison skates massive data breach liability in the UK. Uh, on April 1st of this year, the UK Supreme Court gave an important ruling in the Morrison's case concerning whether employees could succeed in getting financial compensation after a data breach was caused by one of Morrison's employees. The salient background facts on the case follow. This is a group action, which in some respects is similar to a U.S. class action, to decide whether an employer is liable for the criminal actions of a rogue employee who publicly disclosed personal data relating to fellow employees. The data concerned a file with employees' data on it, which was prepared by Morrison auditors. In January of 2014, a file containing the personal details of 99,998 of the employees was posted on a file-sharing website. What did the the court... Well, actually, let me step back for a sec. Over 5,000 of Morrison employees later brought civil legal proceedings against their employer for the malicious use of their personal data. The judge decided that Morrison's was not primarily to blame because it had not breached the UK Data Protection Act of 1998, the predecessor to GDPR, because adequate security safeguards were in place. So now here's the court's ruling. The Court of Appeals had misunderstood the principles governing the vicarious liability in a number of respects. The fact that Skeleton's employment gave him the opportunity to commit the wrongful act was not sufficient to warrant an imposition of vicarious liability. An employer is not normally vicariously liable when the employee was not engaged in furthering his employer's business. However, the Data Protection Act of 1998, relative to the legislation at the time, says nothing about the data control of employers. What are the takeaways? Although there was a, this was a victory for the particular employer due to the given facts of the case on the core legal issue of vicarious liability, the ruling still leaves employees potentially exposed for, do, for the wrongdoing of others. In addition, As pure speculation, the case could could most easily have gone a different way on the issue of primary liability. And under GDPR, there is very strong emphasis on organizations having technological, rather technical, and organizational measures in place, known as TOMS, to ensure GDR compliance. Businesses should therefore consider doing the following. Take a close look at security measures and ensure access rights are policed. Put in place appropriate police policies and procedures to make sure that data protection principles like data security and data minimization are properly understood. Do a data protection impact assessment for new processes. Make sure employees in trusted roles are reliable. Put in place and rehearse a data breach notification procedure. Train staff and all of the above. And set up and undertaking regular compliance audits. Last but not least, either check your existing insurance or take out new insurance to cover a range of potential risks from innocent errors. Uh, We do link to this on the show notes. And if you have any questions, I'm sure Jonathan and his team at Cordry would be happy to speak with you. Uh, Next, we come back to uh, a weekly favorite, Jacqueline Jaeger at Compliance Week. What's Jacqueline thinking about this week, Tom?
1: So Jacqueline is thinking about the Trump administration's evisceration of the Environmental Protection Agency and how that will impact compliance and ethics officers going forward. Uh, the Trump administration is using this as an excuse to not enforce EPA regulations. Of course, COVID-19 has nothing to do with environmental protection. It's a uh, human pathology pandemic. So it, it really points to the uh, blatant outright lies by the Trump administration as to why they're doing this. Uh, they're doing it just because they want to strip environmental protections from the uh, United States and for the people of the United States. But what Jacqueline brings up is to corporate leaders, she asks the same question, or asks the question, are you a hero or a coward? When um, the pandemic pandemic eventually ends, what will the time of crisis unveil to the world about you? Are you going to follow the letter of the laws interpreted by the most corrupt regime in the history of the U.S. presidency, the Trump, Admi- Trump administration? Or are you going to do the right thing and not destroy the environment by following regulations that have been in place for a number of years? So it's going to be um, an interesting quandary. Uh, When you and I were, you know, growing up in our corporate lives, Jay, to follow the letter of the law was probably good enough. But as I said a little bit earlier, things have changed now and uh, expectations have changed from a variety of stakeholders, employee stakeholders. Uh, loca- locality stakeholders, customer stakeholders, um, and perhaps other stakeholders as to whether uh, companies will actively try to uh, engage in environmental uh, damage now that the Trump administration says they're not going to enforce the EPA or whether they will uh, continue to abide by previously existing regulations. So it's an interesting query pro- posed by Jacqueline, and I think uh, uh, what she started with, and I should probably quote this, is that a quote from Brooke Foss Westcott, great occasions do not make heroes or cowards; they simply unveil them to our eyes silently and imperceptibly as we sleep uh, as we wake or sleep we go we grow strong or weak, and at last some crisis shows what we have become. If you're a corporation that uh, follows the letter of the law, uh, particularly since the Trump administration won't enforce it. Or whether or not you will uh, continue to protect the environment. So, very thought provoking question, and that's something that I think compliance practitioners need to have at the forefront of their minds as well.
0: So, uh, next up, Tom, we stay in the compliance week family. Uh, we look at an article from Jacqueline's colleague, Aaron Nicodemus, and the latest Marriott breach exposes 5.2 million guests. Married International says a breach may have compromised the personal data of 5.2 million customers, the second significant data breach for the hotel chain in less than two years. A significant penalty under the EU's GDPR after the first breach in 2018 still hangs over the company in the United Kingdom. The company said in a press release on Tuesday that it has begun sending emails about the latest incidents. The new breach with Marriott said was discovered in February compromised customers' contact and personal details, loyalty account information, partnerships and affiliations, and room preferences. The company said it does not believe any personal financial information was revealed or compromised during the breach. The breach began in January 2020, Marriott said, and a month later, the company noticed an unexpected amount of guest information may have been accessed using the login credentials of two employees at a franchise property. Marriott said it notified relevant authorities and is supporting the investigation. Marriott's 2018 breach affected as many as 327 million customers and may have compromised the credit card numbers of some of these guests. The UK's Information Commissioner Office, ICO, proposed a a fine of $124 million in Marriott. The fine is still being negotiated. Now, here's the part that's really interesting to me. The 2018 vulnerability is believed to have begun when the systems of Starwood Hotels Group were compromised in 2014. Marriott subsequently acquired Starwood in 2016, but the exposure of customer data was not discovered in 2018. The ICO's investigation found. Marriott failed to undertake significant due diligence when it bought Starwood and should have done more so to secure uh, the system. So you consistently hear both Tom and myself talk about what kind of due diligence needs to be done when you're in an M&A situation. And it's, um, you know, it's just a shame that this stuff was not caught several years ago. And it seems that they are now um, a second time loser when it comes to data Issues. Tom, um, it wouldn't be this week in FCPA without a visit from the coolest guy in compliance. What does Matt Kelly have to say this week?
1: So his coolness wrote about a whistleblower award issued by the Securities and Exchange Commission, Jay. But what was an anomalous about it was it was a uh, compliance officer who received the award. Uh, so think about that for a minute. A chief Well, we don't know if it was a chief compliance officer. We assume it was, but perhaps just a compliance professional. Nevertheless, a compliance professional or internal auditor can be, uh, be subject to uh, Dodd-Frank protection and whistleblower award, but they have to report the incident internally and wait 120 days for the company to remedy the situation. So some a compliance professional, perhaps CCO, reports an issue, goes 120 days, and the company does nothing. Um, pretty damning about the company. But there's another part of this that I think bears uh, some interest, Jay. The um typically a whistleblower only receives an award if they are the source of the information that which leads the investigation and eventually the uh, enforcement action. Here, the CCO or compliance professional was not the source of the information which opened the investigation, yet the claimant's information was significant in that it refocused the investigation on the violations which the company was ultimately charged and paid for in a fine so what that means is the SEC was looking at this company. The co- the company was able to either obfuscate or hide the issues or not come forward and, uh, self-disclose and cooperate with the SEC. And it took basically inside information coming from a CTO type, uh, to refocus the SEC on what the company was doing illegally. So, um, they don't name the, the uh, whistleblower whistleblower awardee, i.e., the compliance professional. They don't name the company. Uh, it's uh, not even an order. We were only uh, alerted to an SEC press release. I would note that Matt and I did a uh, compl- did this week's compliance into the week on this uh, subject. So we took a pretty deep dive into it. But the public record is is very uh, small and not much for us to go on. So um, it was an interesting case. Obviously, I have a company that uh, did the wrong thing, knew they did the wrong thing, hid the fact they did the wrong thing, didn't want to remediate the the thing they had done wrong and the Securities and Exchange Commission spanked them for it with a fine or penalty and rewarded the CCO or compliance officer who came forward with the information.
0: So speaking about podcasts, Tom, this is the time in our podcast where we take a look at uh, some of the new properties that are on the compliance podcast network. Uh, Did you want to share some of the things that uh, you've posted online this week, Tom?
1: So... um, with the 31 Days to More Effective Compliance Program, with a change over a month, we went from uh, taking a look at innovation and compliance in March to continuous improvement in April. Uh, so I uh, ended uh, March by looking at innovation and compliance leadership, kind of a wrap-up and what does innovation and compliance look like. Then this week we had continuous improvement in a compliance program, the compliance audit, And internal audit and continuous improvement going forward. That series, of course, is sponsored by Affiliated Monitors, who's continuing their sponsorship in April. So a big shout out to Affiliated Monitors and your colleagues, uh, Jay, as well.
0: And uh, you've got a new entry, uh, the Compliance and Coronavirus podcast. What did you speak about it this week?
1: Oh yes, so this is actually the second week of compliance and coronavirus. We had uh, posted three Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday. We had your colleague Vin uh, speak about the role of the compliance monitor in the CARES package. That's the uh, bailout and stimulus issued by the administration. Uh, our colleague Jonathan Armstrong had some thoughts on uh, GDPR and coronavirus data privacy, data protection, and then Jared Connor's. Um, from Ascent Compliance, uh, Jared and I worked together years ago at the Red Flag Group. Uh, and Jared is a, a CSR and supply chain specialist and, indeed, as passionate about CSR and supply chain compliance as anyone I know. And he talked about the Responsible Mineral Initiative. It used to be Conflict Minerals, but it's now been re Responsible Mineral Initiative and how this coronavirus uh, crisis uh is impacting that initiative, but the point uh, he really drove home was uh, coronavirus is not going to delay the dates around implementation of the Responsible Mineral Initiative, so you need to be ready to go, and that really ties into a couple of the things we've talked about in this podcast, Jay, which is uh, particularly around the board uh, article, which is, uh, yes, you are in a, a very uncertain time right now, as in this week and next week and perhaps for the next few weeks. But at some point, it's going to be business as usual. And that means compliance as usual, because as we said, compliance never sleeps. So it was great uh, to look at that from the supply chain responsible mineral perspective as well, Jay.
0: Yes, indeed. So, Tom, uh, I know there's been an absolute dearth of live sports programming, have you fallen off the, uh, the, the 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 bus and broken down to watch any games that you may have seen previously? Are you jonesing for sports yet?
1: So uh, actually, no, there's a new Westworld out. So we've been Westworlding. And the, uh, the latest uh, final edition of the ninth edition of the nine part Star Wars trilogy came out. This week, we got our copy from Amazon, so we've been reviewing 7, 8, and 9 in anticipation of Star Wars and pizza on Friday night at uh, self-isolated Shea Fox.
0: Okay. Well, I have to sheepishly raise my hand. I'm doing that here on the video link that uh, uh, on March 28th, I, I believe it's some type of holiday for fanatical Patriots fans and also New Orleans Saints fans that can take uh, glee in the fact that their rivals, the Atlanta Falcons, held a, a 28-3 to lead going to the end of the third quarter in the Super Bowl against, uh, at that time, the Tom Patriots' TB12-led team. Uh, they came back and had maybe – they probably played three of the worst quarters of football they've ever played. But in one quarter, for them to come back and tie the game up was – Pretty amazing. So I watched that and uh, I've been listening to um, some of my homers who are on the radio back in uh, Foxborough, Massachusetts called Patriots Unfiltered. And they have a talk show every Tuesday and Thursday where they are the latest uh, thing that they are arguing about are what are the five greatest Patriots games ever. So uh, I think I've successfully uh, turned the page on Tom Brady and he is now trademarked Uh, TBX TB Tom Brady by Tampa Bay. So I I think he's well ensconced there. Uh, The other Patriots bit of news is uh, love him or hate him. Um, Robert Kraft has done a humanitarian mission, and he was able to fly 1.2 million N95 masks out of China, bringing them to the Boston area. And the part of the story that I like 300,000 of those masks are going up to New York City to help our brothers and sisters in New York fight the coronavirus. So people are still managing uh, to do incredible things. And uh, I'm heartened by all the stories and the videos I see out there. and, And I hope people are staying sane and staying safe.
1: So, Jay, I would only add that uh, this series I'm doing, Compliance and Coronavirus, has really become very interesting. I've got some great uh, podcasts in the pipeline that will come out in the next couple of weeks, uh, things as uh, varied as doing a culture assessment and how companies can continue to do that online and remotely to uh, individual state quarantines and what that means for the compliance professional, uh, how you need to readjust your time horizons and how you can do really effective and tailored compliance training now and everything in between. So I hope people will uh, check out Compliance and Coronavirus available on the Compliance Podcast Network and on iTunes. Excellent.
0: So uh, on behalf of Tom Fox. The compliance evangelist and the voice of compliance, and myself, Jay Rose, and Mr. Monitor, we'd like to thank you for joining us for this week in FCPA, episode 198 for the week ending April 3rd, 2020, the non coronavirus mostly edition. Uh, we thank you for taking time uh, to listen to us uh, over the weekend. Uh, we hope that you take care of yourself, and we look forward to speaking with you next week. Thanks a lot. Goodbye.
1: Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox again. I'd like to thank you for listening to this episode of This Week in FCPA. As I mentioned in the podcast, I've started a new podcast for the compliance practitioner during the coronavirus crisis entitled Compliance and Coronavirus. I bring both sanity and clarity to the compliance practitioner. I'm going to link to it in the show notes, so please check it out. And I would ask you to tell one of your friends about it, to pass it along by word of mouth. I know you will find it useful. If you have any questions, you can reach me at tfox at tfoxlaw.com. You can reach Jay at jayrosen at affiliatedmonitors.com. I hope you'll join Jay and I again next week where we take up some of the week's top compliance and ethics stories. This Week in FCPA is a production of the Compliance Podcast Network and a proud member of C-Suite Radio. Thanks again for listening, and we look forward to visiting with you again next week.